I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. All right, a big night tonight. Welcome in. Late Kick is live. It is Thursday night, August 26th, the year of our Lord, 2021. Jam-packed. How jam-packed are we? Well, by the time we go off the air... It's not going to be a show that's over an hour long, but we will have predictions up to and including wins and losses for 38 teams over three conferences. We're hitting full season predictions for the SEC, for the Big Ten, for the Big 12 tonight. We are also, and that's big, but we're not stopping there, going to talk about 2007. As some of you have been apt to do over the course of the spring and summer, and I've pushed it and I've pushed it and I've pushed it because I knew that I wanted to get to right at the point we are now. One week to go until the full season starts hours to go until part of the season starts and I've looked at this season from afar and I've seen that I think there's going to be a little more competitive balance at the top of it maybe than we've had in recent years so I knew this theme would pop up the whole 2007 protocol 2007 one of if not the wildest years in the history of college football what would it take to get something along those lines maybe not a total duplicate but what would it take to repeat portions of the 2007 season I think we have at least some things to look for and some things that are very possible. I'm going to discuss that in a few minutes. Also, for the final time before the season starts, we're going to talk final camp whispers and intel. There are a lot of things still happening. We've still got quarterback battles going on, but more so over the past week when you start to install actual and you go into actual game prep for your week one matchup, you start to get a sense of how staffs really feel. And so I've got some of that for you tonight. It has never been more imperative than it is right now to make sure you're following on Twitter and Instagram, at Late Kick Josh. Why is that? Well, tomorrow morning is the morning that many of you have been emailing me about for the better part of half a year. We are unveiling not only the Pate State mascot, we are unveiling a whole slew of Pate State logos, which will inevitably lead to the merch question, which I will answer as delicately as I can once it comes at me. But tomorrow morning on those platforms, we will unveil a logo that I could not be any more happy with if I designed it myself. In fact, if I designed it, it'd kind of secretly suck. I didn't. One of you did, which is usually the case around here. When something great happens, one of you has done it. That's just the kind of relationship you and I have. And boy, you've come through again. You guys also came through on the name. After we release this tomorrow, I'm going to need you to come through again because what we don't have, Auburn's got War Eagle, Bama's got Roll Tide. We don't have a battle cry yet. We're going to need one. I had some ideas. They were all inappropriate. They all got thrown out. And so we're going to need a good, clean battle cry. And that's going to be up to you. Also, this next show we have is going into full game week mode. And when we get to the Sunday show, I mean, those of you who have been around a while, you know, when we flip that season on switch, I mean, it's really, it's go time. It's pedal to the floor for about four or five months. We've got Ramen Noodle Express debuting Sunday. Those are our biggest bets of the week. 60.9% against the number. That's what we went last year. Also, we'll have mood trackers. 
We'll have rapid reaction on Sunday night, which is obviously can't miss for many reasons. We'll have full game predictions. We got JP poll. We've got the entire Renaissance tour coming up this year because we'll be on the road every week and we will announce the city, the destination, the campus that we're going to be on the following weekend. That'll be announced on every Sunday show. We're really worked up around here. I mean, we do a show year round. But this is what we're always building towards. And I know some of you have lives to live and you've been gone for a little while. Come on back. And I would suggest bringing five of your friends with you. You look around elsewhere, there's a lot to be upset about. This table, though, this table over here, the college football table, it's, it's a place where you can be happy for a little while. And if you need a show to watch during the week, tell them to watch this one. Thank you, by the way. Numbers through the roof. Thank you so much. So we have got to get serious because it is prediction time. I wait as late in the game as we can because I like to ingest the most information from camp as we can, but we can't be waiting any longer or it would literally be cheating because games will have been played. So here's where we're going to start tonight. I'm going in the order of what our numbers say to go in. We are going with SEC predictions, SEC predictions circa 2021. Where are we going? Who do we like? Well, the first thing I like to do in these, I don't just like to go record, record, record. I do like to talk about some things. The the couple of things that I'm watching in the SEC, and I love to read the comments on this because I love to know what you're watching because it lets me know how to guide the show throughout the rest of the year. You got a couple of teams that are just totally fascinating. One of them's Texas a one of them's Georgia. Everyone knows about Bama. They're a household name. But these two, to me, are household names because I've covered the conference for a long time. But nationally, they don't look at Texas A&M and Georgia, rightfully so, the way they look at Alabama. And why is that? Well, they don't have the hardware. Now, I am not a has-to-see-it-to-believe-it guy. I believe both are capable of doing that, but it doesn't matter because all that matters is ultimately that you do it. And so the first question, and to me the biggest question across the conference this year, is will either of those brands, that A&M or that G, will either one of them elevate to Tier 1? I mean, that would be one of the biggest stories in this conference in quite a while. Not a huge upset, but it would be one of the biggest stories in this conference in quite a while. That's the first thing that I'll watch. The second thing that I think is really going to be fun to watch is some of these new head coaches. You got Josh Heupel at Tennessee. You got Shane Beamer at South Carolina. Brian Harsons already had a really bumpy takeoff or at least tripped down the runway. They're not in the air yet. And now we've got games to play. And you've got uh, a variety of expectations, not wide in range, but a variety of expectations for some of these new head coaches. And I just wonder because I think the expectation levels are largely in check, how smooth can these takeoffs be? I think Josh Heupel at Tennessee, even if they lose some games this year, I'm going to give you the projected record from the model in just a second, even if they lose some games, I think Tennessee fans can at least take comfort in knowing if you watch your team lose, it won't be because you went down with a bunch of offensive bullets left in the chamber. At the very least, at least they're going to be a very, very entertaining offensive product And you're going to know you fully leveraged your capability offensively. And if you get outscored, you get outscored. If you turn the ball over because you're young and you're inexperienced and you just got a lot of pieces that are kind of being shoehorned in together into a new offensive system, so be it. That's what year one looks like in a lot of cases. That's what I'm thinking and feeling with Tennessee. Again, record prediction to come. South Carolina, the most important thing here to me is not so much a win-loss record. I've done a lot of radio over in South Carolina and the Carolinas in general Anytime we talk about the Gamecocks, I'm always very quick to say I don't think success is going to be determined by whether Shane Beamer goes 6-6, six and six, okay, we're good, we made a bowl, 4-8, and eight, nope, he's an abject failure. It's a bottom-line business. It's a wins-and-loss business, and I get it. But if we're trying to be forward-thinking about South Carolina 
and we understand where the program is right now compared to where you want it to be over there, which I think long-term can be a contender in the East. I don't care what the perception is. The reality is Carolina has the capability of being a contender, not this year, but in the future. Well, if we're trying to get there, you can't afford to lose your recruiting momentum. There's a lot of program momentum built up around South Carolina as a program right now, but that's easy to build in the summer because it's easy to go on the speaking tour if you've got the gift that Shane Beamer has and you've got that magnetic quality because he is South Carolina. You cut his arm open, doesn't really bleed so much red. It's, It's South Carolina. It's garnet. It's South Carolina. They know that. They love him. That's why they supported his hire. But then you get into the season, and I'm looking at South Carolina's schedule on the screen right now, and presumably you beat Eastern Illinois. But listen, if you go to East Carolina and you struggle in lieu of having Georgia on deck, and then you obviously eventually get into the meat of the SEC schedule, if you start piling losses up, here's the biggest challenge for Shane Beamer in South Carolina. Can you still make that fan base, and more importantly, Can you still make high school coaches, high school recruits, and their parents and their guardians and their families feel the same way about you as they do right now? Because that is going to be the magic ingredient this year. Don't lose the momentum you've built up since you landed on the tarmac in Columbia and you took this job. That would be success in year one. Also, some week-over-week incremental improvement offensively, that would be nice too. What about Alabama and Florida? Those two played in the SEC championship game last year, and what I would love to know is how effectively each of them are going to replace some key starters. We've seen Bama do it more so than Florida. I mean, Florida has not been in the coming off a national championship. Now we got a reload sort of mold that Alabama frequently finds themselves in. But either way, I mean, there are a lot of expectations for both programs. With Alabama, there is benefit of the doubt given that there is not given at Florida. I'm going to talk about Emory Jones a little bit later in the show, but, I mean, we could talk about it here, too. It's a standalone video. I am... Very, very curious, because these two play each other in week three, what we'll be saying about these offenses by that point. There is an assumption uh, that you know I have been hesitant to buy into that this Alabama offense will just be Bama. And week one against Miami, they'll pick up right where they left off. No, they won't. They will not. Uh, They will probably beat Miami. I'm going to pick them to beat Miami. Uh, They will not just pick up where they left off last year. I can assure you of that. There will be some struggle. There'll be some growing pains early on. Ditto for Florida. I think that's a little more expected. But, man, they play week three, and Florida's got the benefit of one of the most insane home field advantages we will have seen in 24 months in this sport. That's going to be something to watch. Over in Baton Rouge, you know, LSU is a team Florida's going to play later in the year. It's a game that I'm about to talk about in just a second. But at LSU... Let me ask you a question. What are your expectations for them? I've had wide ranges of answers for that question from LSU fans. Now, the ones publicly are all nine wins or better. I've had in my DMs a lot, I've had some LSU fans say, now don't tell anyone this, especially Paul Paul Ricky. Don't tell him this. I think seven and five this year. I don't know, man. I just don't, I don't like the offensive line situation. I don't know that these running backs are going to step up. Every time I look up, we got four new names on the injury chart. So there's a wide range of expectation. Again, I'm going to give you my prediction in just a second. It's hard to nail this team down, though. But what I feel we're going to have is I feel we're going to have this really, really good idea when we watch them play UCLA. I don't think LSU is going to go to UCLA and beat them 44 to 14 and then implode later in the year. Conversely, I don't think LSU is going to go to UCLA and stumble to a loss or a narrow win and then just buzzsaw the rest of their schedule. I mean, there's growth that can be had week over week with any team that ends up being good. But I think a lot of the questions that we have not been able to answer for months and months and months, 
in a lot of cases will be answered over the span of four quarters on a Saturday afternoon next week. Feels so good to say that. So some quick games. I got three of them that I circle for every conference to just put up on the wall. Uh, This is not an exhaustive list. It's the SEC. Every week you got a couple of them. But again, that Bama at Florida week three matchup, we've got a lot of internal struggle right now. We on the late kick staff, a.k.a. Director Colin and I, we are very, very much in limbo as to which game we should choose to go to. We're being recruited. You know, I'm actively being recruited in my Twitter DMs by the fan bases here. And there's good arguments. There's no wrong argument. You've got the Auburn at Penn State wideout, and you got Bama at Florida. And I cannot overstate how incredible the environment's going to be down there in Gainesville. Because whatever you expect about Florida, the point is they probably don't have a loss yet. And no one tells those guys they're supposed to lose to Alabama And in a lot of cases, you take it upon yourself as a fan to change that dynamic, and they've got the ability to. Trust me, last time I was at Florida, the crowd there changed the trajectory of a game. At that point, it was Auburn in there. Uh, You could feel it on the field, palpable. You could feel it, incredible. So that one's in week three. How about a week six game? It's Bama again, but this one's on the road at A&M. Now, this is the circle game for the conference this year. A lot of times, it's Bama and LSU. Last year, it was Bama, Georgia. Finally, Texas A&M has the stature about themselves that they get that home game and they get the national spotlight. Like I said the other night, probably the first time the eyes of the college football nation will be on Texas A&M since the time Dabo and Clemson went in there. And they got pushed. They really got pushed. Didn't win the game that night. Uh, A&M didn't win the game that night. So that's one to look forward to. And also, I mean, one that I've just got an abnormal amount of fascination about is Florida at LSU. This is a week seven game. So the week after Bama and A&M, Florida goes to LSU. And the reason, aside from the obvious, why this has such marquee appeal for me is because if Florida's already played Bama, and let's just for argument's sake say they came up short that day, they've got Georgia the week after this game, two weeks after this game. And this could be to determine what rides on that game in Jacksonville. And that's just the Florida side of things. You've also got the LSU side of things where if things pan out the way that they expect them to, they're undefeated at this point, and this would be the last remaining major hurdle to being undefeated when they play Alabama, which would be a story in and of itself. So let's talk about some final predictions, and let me explain to you how we go about this. We have our own model, our own proprietary model, the same one we use to pump out the JP poll and the same one we use every week to give you the Ramen Noodle Express picks that you guys swear by. So if we got a record attached to your team's name that you don't like, but this model also made you a lot of money last year, are you going to yell at the model? Are you just going to scoff at the model? What are we going to do with the model? I don't know. But I just want to say I do want all the credit if these picks go right with none of the blame if the picks go wrong. So let's take a look at the SEC final record predictions as presented by the model per 1,000 season simulations. There are no undefeated teams in the SEC this year per the model. I agree with that, by the way. I've got Georgia and Bama in the SEC title game. We'll give you the winners of all those games Sunday night. Pay attention to the number two spot in the West. If you're listening on podcast, I've got Bama and A&M both going 11-1 and this year. I don't know who loses to who there. That's not the way this works, but I'm telling you that equals two playoff teams. I am a firm believer if Texas A&M's 11-1, I mean, I would assume obviously the losses to Alabama because Bama won the West, but I think at that point, kind of a replay of last year, but I think two years in a row doing that, A&M's got a strong shot to be in the playoff. 
LSU at nine and three in the West, third place. Fascinating because there is a popular train of thought out there that LSU is either going to be a 10 win team or better, or they're just going to implode and be seven and five or worse. And I understand why it's that way. But again, consider the logic behind this model. It's a thousand simulations. So very much you're getting sort of the average output of all that, and it lands at nine and three. So you got to help the amount of both in a thousand simulations there. Ole Miss, Arkansas, Auburn, and Mississippi State round out the top seven. We are not all that high on the Auburn Tigers, the more intel that we have gotten from fall camp down there. It's not about the COVID stuff either. That doesn't help. Uh, Just, I don't know. I think it's going to take a little bit longer for that program to get its legs under it, under Brian Harson than you would want. Now, we've got Florida in second place in the East at 9-3, and and then the Missouri Tigers, who we've liked more and more as we've put more and more data in that model at 8-4. and and eight and four, if you look at Missouri's record, means they're beating a couple of folks you don't think they're supposed to be beating. They do not draw LSU, nor do they draw Alabama out of the SEC West, though. And when they get Texas A&M, it's the week after the Alabama game. Just keep that in mind. Kentucky, very fashionable pick right now. Got them at seven and five. That's a very good year for the Cats. I do have Tennessee making a bowl game at six and six. And then we got South Carolina four and eight, Vandy two and ten. That is our SEC official final stamp it and endorse it predictions for the 2021 season as always very excited to see what you have to say in the comment section now what we want to do is we want to pack up we want to put on some warmer gear and we want to head up north and let's have our big 10 season preview where do you start if i were to ask you in the big 10 biggest question where are you going because to me it doesn't even have to do with ohio state ohio state is almost a given for me it not an absolute but a given. I'm looking at Michigan and Penn State. Michigan and Penn State are the Big Ten's version of kind of the Georgia-Texas A&M dynamic. Now, those programs are not apples to apples in comparison, but the dynamic's the same because you look at Penn State and Michigan and you wonder, can they start fast? Because they're comparable. Neither one of them is the top dog, but they're both comparable. Can they start fast? Because if they don't, you could have some immediate negative ramifications on either end of this. I think more harshly on the Michigan side. They got Western Michigan in week one, and then they got Washington coming in in week two. And on one hand, I'm a believer that Jim Harbaugh's made some right decisions, but if they lose again this year early on, and then it starts compounding in effect, I don't know that that staff's going to have the ability to see things all the way through. Look at their schedule. If you're watching on YouTube right now, they got the Washington game in week two, And we just skim over games like Northern Illinois. For that matter, we skimmed over Western Michigan in week one. We'll skim over Rutgers. I mean, insiders in the Big Ten would tell you, don't do that. Don't skim over Rutgers. But then, even if you do your fair amount of skimming, you got Wisconsin on the road. You got to go back-to-back roadies, by the way. Wisconsin, then Nebraska, which for Nebraska will be no less than a Super Bowl moment for them. And of course, you know you got Indiana, Penn State, Ohio State. So you see quickly how it can compound. And with Penn State, I've beaten this to death, but I just think there's such a wide gap between what it feels like up there, whether they beat Wisconsin in week one versus whether they lose to him. And if they do lose to him, all those old memories, those bad, evil memories from last year start to creep in just in time for Auburn to come in there because I am going to overlook Ball State, even though Mac insiders will tell you don't do that. But for the time being, we're going to do it. And Auburn comes in there in week three. And it's a, it's a good old-fashioned week three must-win situation. So fast starts are imperative for both of those programs. Now let's talk about the Buckeyes. Has Ohio State's defense improved to the point it needs to 
that they can win a championship with. I don't have any doubt offensively about pretty much any facet of this team. So it's, and that includes quarterback. It is strictly secondary linebacker to a lesser degree, but secondary and remembering last year, the state they were in towards the end of the year, they do not face a lot of high caliber passing attacks. So you don't see them exposed a whole lot, but you don't have to be exposed in order for weakness to be there. Uh, that's why I'm very interested when Ohio State eventually plays Indiana, which is that's a, kind of towards the middle portion of the season. I'm interested to see how that game plays out, whether Ohio State wins by two touchdowns or they lose outright or they blow Indiana out. I'm interested to see what the Indiana passing game is capable of doing. For that matter, I'm interested to see what Minnesota does to them in week one. I think Minnesota's offensive approach, probably a little bit different than Indiana's against Ohio State, but that's something to watch. Also, I wonder if you look across the entire landscape of the Big Ten, how does the tier system set up? Because you're looking at Ohio State's schedule right there. you got a hard time finding more than one loss, and, and I, I will even see that. I'm about to show you our record predictions. But let's just step aside from Ohio State. Let's look at the rest of this conference. I'm a believer the Big Ten is a very strong conference this year, and I'm a believer that if you want to call it the Tier 2, I'm a believer the Tier 2 of the Big Ten this year is deep, And I think there are teams here that can challenge Ohio State. Uh, Wisconsin is certainly one of them. Uh, Iowa's one of them. Indiana's one of them. Penn State's absolutely one of them. Michigan hopes to be one of them and theoretically could be. And the follow-up to that is, are they all tier two? Because there is an emergency disaster scenario in play here that, you know, even our friends in Columbus, they know it exists. We will not talk about it, but they know it exists. And that's Ohio State just flat out loses a game in the first two weeks of the year. And then someone like Wisconsin is shining through the first two weeks of the year, and all of a sudden it just feels like there either isn't a Tier 1 in the Big Ten to start the year, and everyone's in Tier 2, or maybe we have multiple Tier 1 teams. Also, not exactly Tier 1 or Tier 2, do we have teams that can come out of nowhere up here? I mean, do we have teams that could overshoot their projected win-loss mark by two or three wins? I'm thinking Rutgers, Illinois under Brett Bielema. I'm thinking Michigan State last year won games that appeared they had no business winning. Minnesota is a team we have ranked in our top 25. The AP doesn't have them receiving votes, period. So some things to keep in mind there. In fact, I'd be curious if you had to pick a team that was the biggest candidate to come out of nowhere. Would it be Nebraska? I didn't even mention Nebraska. Which team would come out of nowhere? Doesn't have to actually happen, but if there was one that was likely to happen, which one would you pick? Let's talk about some games of the year to circle in the Big Ten. The first one, you don't have to wait long for. We are nine days away from it as you and I sit here talking tonight on this August 26th. And that is Penn State at Wisconsin. It's one of the games I'm most excited about in the, in the entire first half of the season. It just so happens to be parked there in week one. Uh, these teams, we have ranked ninth and eighth, respectively, in the JP poll. So we view this, for our purposes, as a top 10 matchup. Uh, If this game is competitive, you will not see our opinion change on either of these teams. In all likelihood, we still have both of them in the top 10. Perception would change. If Wisconsin won 27-20, perception would change. Reality for us probably would not. What about Michigan at Nebraska? We fast forward to the middle of the season. It's week six. Michigan at Nebraska. We just talked about this. Remember who Michigan has played the week before. They've gone on the road to Wisconsin. And then they go back on the road to face Nebraska. Now, we need some context. As our buddy, who doesn't know he's a friend of ours, but he's one of our buddies, as our buddy Eric Bischoff says, context is king. And I got to know what Michigan has done the week before against Wisconsin 
in order to fully know how we feel about this, because they could be in wounded animal mode, they could be undefeated and looking to survive a treacherous road trip to Lincoln. You never know, but you also don't know what Nebraska's done. Because you look at Nebraska's schedule and you just assume they've got losses already by this point, but yet there's no guarantee of that. Nebraska plays this Saturday. They play in 48 hours and they go to Illinois. Um, It's a game I've given a passing thought to adding to the Ramen Noodle Express. I'm not, therefore I'm not even going to tell you what side I'd be on because you'll be tempted. But Nebraska is still favored by six and a half. The line has dropped precipitously, but they are still favored. But what are the records here? This game has serious car wreck can't look away potential, or it has serious good for both of you. We never thought you'd be here, but now we're going to watch this game potential. So with that in mind, just a little Big Ten backdrop, let's take a look at the actual season predictions There was a theme that I saw start to form as we started to put together the conference predictions, and that is not seeing undefeated teams as we run all this through the model, and the model spits out the projections, and it's carried over. We saw it in the SEC, where there was no predicted undefeated team in the Big Ten. We do not have a predicted undefeated team. This is is great. This is the fantasy of all of you who want more competitive balance. We got the Buckeyes still winning the Eastern Division, but we got them with a loss. Also have Penn State very competitive. They're at 10 and 2, and that's a battle. I mean, that's a very big battle. And so then we've got Michigan third in the East at 9 and 3. And I gotta be honest with you, I'm gonna ride with the model here, but if I'm spitballing records, I don't have Michigan at 9 and 3. I've got them closer to seven wins than nine wins, but I'm gonna trust the model because we built it to kick our own opinion and gut to the curb. So we're gonna go nine and three with Michigan. And then we drop off a couple of games, Indiana at seven and five, Rutgers knocking on the door of bowl contention at five and seven, as is Maryland, as is Michigan State. No one worse than five and seven in the East, which would be very notable if it were to happen. Over in the West, Wisconsin leads the way, as I expect them to do at 10 and two, But look at Minnesota, the number two team in the West. That, I think, would be a big surprise. They finish 8-4. and That's a big surprise. They've obviously won a heads-up matchup over Iowa because the Hawkeyes have the same record, but they finish third at 8-4. and And then the fourth-place team is a 500 team, and it's Nebraska. Fascinating, nonetheless. Northwestern, also 500 in the fifth spot. And then it's Purdue and Illinois rounding things out, barely missing out on bowl contention themselves. So Ohio State-Wisconsin in the Big Ten Championship game. And keep in mind now, if Ohio State already, already has a dent on that schedule, then they are not viewed as invincible. And then you got to ask yourself also, well, who beat them? Was it Oregon? Or was it week one? I mean, did they lose to Penn State? Who beat them? So anyone on that schedule who has shown the ability to beat Ohio State certainly makes them vulnerable enough to where that Big Ten Championship game is must-see TV. Is your child struggling with a specific subject or need help with homework? Are they asking questions that you're not sure you can fully answer? IXL Learning is an online learning program for kids. It covers math, language arts, science, and social studies. IXL is designed. This program will improve your kids' grades. Studies done in almost every state in the country. The kids who had IXL are consistently doing better. Powered by advanced algorithms, IXL gives the right help to each kid no matter the age or personality. And it doesn't have to eat up all your time. One subscription gets you everything for all the kids in your home, pre-K to 12th grade. So don't miss out. One in four students in the U.S. are learning with IXL. IXL is used in 95 of the top 100 school districts in the U.S. Make an impact on your child's learning. 
Get IXL now, and listeners can get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when they sign up today at IXL.com audio. Visit IXL.com audio to get the most effective learning program out there at the best price. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. All right, so now let's go from the land of divisions to the land with no divisions, but for the time being, still a 10-team league, and that's the Big 12. Our full Big 12 season predictions where do we start here? What's the first question you would ask? To me, this is obvious. We got to go to Austin, Texas, right? And you got to ask about Steve Sarkeesian. And you got to ask, I don't know, you can go broad brush if you want to. I will. How's he going to handle his first year? Whew. Well, let's take a deep breath and then let's consider what's on the table. We're going to talk about Texas a little bit later in the show, but how is he going to handle year one? I mean, this entire quarterback balance is very delicate, but ultimately, you got to pick the guy you feel gives you the best chance to win. And then you just got to let dominoes fall. You got to let the circumstances fall as they may. If a guy transfers, a guy transfers. Um, if you end up having to replace the guy you picked with the guy that you put in the QB2 spot halfway through the first half of game one, then you got to do it. But outside of that, there is not an ease your way into the schedule type element with Texas this year. They got Louisiana, and then they go to Arkansas. These are two losable games. So it's just, it's going to be very, very much a theatrical sort of opening to the season for Texas. If you're an outsider, you know, if you live in Provo, Utah, and you have no connection to Texas at all, and you're just watching as a college football fan, I mean, that's going to be kind of theatrical. A lot of drama there. There's always drama with Texas. Uh, But if he gets off to a fast start, what I don't want to hear is people say, well, it it was just ULL in Arkansas. No, you don't get to spend the whole summer saying, I think Texas is going to get upset. And then when they don't get upset, say, big deal. You were supposed to win both those games. Can't have it both ways. So that's one thing to watch. What about their brethren, whether they know it or not, in Norman, Oklahoma? How different does Oklahoma look this year than past years? A lot is expected of Oklahoma. I got a text from Lincoln Riley about an hour before the show started, and he said, do you play running back? And um, I don't. Uh, They've got more depth concerns at that position this afternoon than they did this morning, but they'll be okay, I think. But how different do they look? You know, because if you're going from the conversation of, I think Oklahoma can win the Big 12 and nothing more, to the conversation of, I think they can win the national championship, well, you got to look different. And so this Oklahoma team, if they are indeed of championship caliber, I mean, conference and playoff championship caliber, they'll look different. You will be in Enid, Oklahoma, a city that was only referenced, I think, one time in pop culture, which, of course, would have been Jurassic Park 3. An abomination to the franchise, but it was referenced by Tia Leone in Jurassic Park 3. If you're sitting there in Enid and you're watching Oklahoma, if that's a championship-caliber team, you should rightfully be looking over at your buddy on the other couch and saying, they... You can tell this is a different team than the one we had in even 17 or 18 or 19. And you'll all feel it. Like, we'll all know. Now, ultimately, they still got hurdles to clear. You're looking at the odds to win the Big 12 right now. 
OU is a healthy favorite with my, excuse me, the Iowa State Cyclones at plus 280 next up. Just how different do they look, though? Also, how many seasons can TCU and Texas Tech ruin? I wish I had the schedules out here, but I went over it the other day. I mean, first off, TCU has a situation. It's like a little round robin there where they play Texas right before Red River. You see it right here if you're watching on YouTube. They play Texas right before Texas plays Oklahoma. And then they play Oklahoma right after they play Texas. And it's just, it could be a potential mess. But also Texas Tech has a situation where they got three teams back to back to back that they play right before they play Oklahoma. So there's all sorts of, there's all sorts of potential pitfalls. And this is a situation where they got a lot of size at receiver. They've got an experienced quarterback in Tyler Shuck coming in there by way of Oregon. Oregon didn't have, they didn't have time for him anymore, or he didn't have time for Oregon, I guess. Uh, Texas Tech's a dangerous team. A lot of people are whispering in the Big 12 about Texas Tech. No one's talking about it nationally. I mean, I got folks out here who are picking the playoff field and picking, you know, your bowl field that couldn't find Lubbock, Texas on a map, and you need to. A lot of prairie dogs out there once rode a Greyhound bus from Columbus, Georgia to Lubbock, Texas. Now that's a haul. You see a lot of beautiful parts of our country, and then you see a lot of the armpits of our country, uh, but you see a lot of scenery nonetheless. But Lubbock, Texas, fine folks, kind of windy, fine folks out there, you need to be paying attention to Texas Tech, because even if they don't do anything of note, they could ruin one or two seasons. Also, can Iowa State just reach the next rung? One of my favorite gimmick matches or novelty matches in all of pro wrestling is the ladder match. And I always thought it was a little ridiculous and uh, non-realistic, how dare they in pro wrestling, when they made the last rung of the ladder so hard to climb. But yet here, Iowa State sits, and there's the belt hanging high above the ring, and they're so close, and they're, they're reaching, and they're reaching, and it's one more rung up, as it turns out. You gotta climb one more rung, Razor. And so you climb, and you reach again, as Matt Campbell reaches right there on the actual screen. Can you get it? Is there any more juice to be squeezed out of this program? Because there is a train of thought out there that no, it doesn't matter if you got all this experience coming back. Those guys were last year what they're going to be this year. It's just you're not going to squeeze much more out of them. I happen to differ in that opinion because this is a team that lost three games last year. I mean, I do believe they're capable of getting more. But let's just be careful because I know everyone's talking about week two at, or against Iowa. Um, no one up there wants to play Northern Iowa. No one. There's no benefit for it for any of us in Ames, any of us Ames Iowans. There's no benefit in it. So let's just be careful. Crazier things have happened before. But this is a treacherous schedule if you're looking for it throughout. And they go to Oklahoma way late in the year. And then they play, to me, the second most dangerous team in the Big 12 the final week on short rest of the regular season, presumably before a Big 12 championship game. Oh, and by the way, that's not enough. As was the theme already, check out who they play right before Oklahoma. Check out who they play right before Texas Tech. Yeah, so that's hard. That's a tough little stretch there at the end of the year. But you know what? We've dealt with adversity before at Iowa State, and we'll be okay. How okay will we be? I'm about to show you. Let's talk about our Big 12 conference predictions. Now, this is not a divisioned conference. It's just one through, what are they at right now? Ten. As of today, they got ten teams in this conference. How are we going to stack it up? Oklahoma, the overwhelming preseason favorite at minus 280 odds. Iowa State at plus 280 
Well, I got to be honest with you. That's not the way I see it shaking out. And that's not the way the model sees it shaking out. And it's interesting because we put the JP poll out the other night and we had Iowa State at six and we got Oklahoma at two. But we also have a forward thinking aspect of that model to where we kind of see the season and we try and see it evolve. Uh, It's a brave undertaking because most statisticians would roll their eyes at that concept, but we've done okay with this model. Here is the way we see the Big 12 shaking out. We got Iowa State winning the Big 12. I'm kind of delaying so we can get the graphic up. But we have Iowa State winning the Big 12. There we go. We got Iowa State winning the Big 12 at 11-1. and We got Oklahoma also at 11-1. and And so how has this end of season back-to-back with TCU in the middle sort of matchup fare? Because it's going to be very weird. And also, uh, there's an added layer of this. We got Iowa State winning the Big 12 championship game. Don't know if they lost in Norman or not. If they didn't, they beat Oklahoma twice, which will be fascinating. But also, is there room in this little equation for two Big 12 teams to make the playoff? Could happen. Roger, Angels in the outfield, start flapping those wings. Crazier things have happened. TCU is in the third position, and I put Texas in the fourth position, which means Texas has likely lost the head-to-head matchup with TCU. Well, it absolutely means that. And then Texas Tech at five, which I think the model sees as a little bit loftier goal for the Red Raiders than maybe the odds makers do. From six to 10, it is West Virginia, Oklahoma State, Kansas State, still a bowl team there. Kansas State in the eighth position at six and six. And then we fall off uh, pretty steeply, Baylor at four and eight. We do have Kansas winning a game. We're not total savages here. We do have the Jayhawks winning a game. So Oregon, um, well, Oregon has nothing to do with this conference, actually. I'm going to talk about them in a second. Iowa State, though, winning the Big 12, I think would be viewed as a pretty major upset. Uh, I want to completely and totally state for the record, there is heavy bias here, but that is what the model spat out. So I did not change that. So there you go. That's the way we see the Big 12 shaking out this year. All right. You know, I don't get it, Colin, because it's the middle of August. The humidity and dew point are what they normally are, and my lips feel dry. I mean, we don't have any chapstick out here. I don't plan on buying it for another few months. I'll just soldier on as only I can. Unless you have something I can borrow, Colin. Okay, so I've gotten this question. If I've gotten it once, I've gotten it 100 times since the last season ended. And that is, can you talk about the, tw- the 2007 season? How do you think that that could ever happen again? How vividly do you remember the 07 season? So I wanted to talk about it here tonight. Colin, here's your end point. Three, two, one. How well do you really remember the 2007 college football season? Some of you remember it more vividly than others. It's funny, though. If you hear about how crazy it was, but then you just pull up the record books and you're scanning the national championship game matchups, it doesn't really stand out. LSU versus Ohio State does not stand out as anything crazy. That just sounds like more of the same, right? And what the record book doesn't tell you, at least right there on the surface, is that we were just inches away from having a Missouri versus West Virginia national championship game. This is also a year, I mean, among several other crazy things, this is a year where Kansas was a mainstay in the top 10. Yes, the same Kansas we just picked to go 1-11. The Jayhawks were right there. They went to the Orange Bowl, I believe, that year, led by Todd Reesing. And so how could this ever happen again? Some things that happened this year to refreshify your memory. Uh, Bill Connolly wrote a pretty lengthy piece over on ESPN the other day about this. And he wrote this paragraph that perfectly encapsulates the absurdity of the 2007 season. 
This is the year Appalachian State beat Michigan in week one. So that's how the year started. Stanford beat USC. The Trojans finished number three, you see in the poll here, in the final AP poll. USC lost to Stanford. And kids, that may not sound notable today. You think to yourself, Stanford's they're a good program. They were a 41-point underdog in the Coliseum that day. And then Jim Harbaugh had one of the more aggressive post-game interactions with Pete Carroll that I've ever seen. He did like... He did like a Ric Flair chop, but he did it on Pete Carroll's back. I mean, Rick will chop you in the chest, but Pete Carroll got chopped on the back after he got beaten as a 41-point favorite. So that was ugly. Oh, it doesn't stop there. Illinois beats Ohio State this year. Ohio State ended up playing for a title. LSU lost twice in triple overtime, including the last game of the regular season, and that's the team that won the national championship. Oh, how about this little footnote? Seven times in the 2007 season, the number two team lost. Seven. I had Colin run the numbers. That is half of the season. Every other week, you had the number two team losing. The top two teams, the number one and number two, lost in the same week three times. Can you imagine that happening this year? If you've got Clemson and Alabama, and they both lose in the same week, and then the next year, it's, it's Georgia and Oklahoma, and they both lose in the same week. That happens three times. It's crazy. It happens like once a decade now. And also, we were so close to having Missouri versus West Virginia in the national championship. I want to say Pitt beat West Virginia like 13 to 9. I mean, seriously, the title game was in Glendale. It was in the Fiesta Bowl that year. Imagine the Fiesta Bowl going to sleep that Friday night, and they think we're going to get... We're going to get West Virginia, and we're going to get Missouri. Hoomst against Hoomst. That's what you're sending us out here? And then they wake up the next morning, and there are lines drawn through both of those teams. Hey, uh, how does Ohio State LSU sound instead? So, I mean, those people, a lot of those folks found religion, I, I was told, after that night. Uh, but that was a crazy turn of events. So that's what happened in 2007. How does that happen again? How do you resurrect that chaos? So I have, I've had a lot of thoughts about this as I uh, shuffle my notes, because I had some other things I wanted to read. So I've, yeah, there we go. So I've had a lot of thoughts about this. Um, a lot of people swear by this year. I mean, a lot of people love the 07 season, and they wish every season was like this. And I've not been like that. This season was not one of my more fonder memories. I don't know why. Uh, I, I think that college football can have a certain order and structure to it and still have a lot of drama. That makes me sound like an elitist because really what I just said there is I just want all the big teams to win. But for better or for worse, that's how I felt. I, I think I don't know why it is. I just I've always felt that way. But as I said this morning on Twitter, I've changed. You guys have brought me to the table and to show you how open minded I am. I have shut up and I've listened. And unlike the playoff expansion that you will never get me to flip on, I have flipped on this. So I want to announce it tonight, right here, August 26th, year of our Lord, 2021. I would not have a single problem if we had a duplicate of the 2007 season happen this year. I think it would be a palate cleanser for college football for many reasons. Chief among them is I could actually harness it and I could take it and throw it in the face of every single individual who has sworn to me and you that the playoff has rid us forever of the opportunity for competitive balance, and the playoff is the, is the bane of our existence or the vein of our existence, choose one, and it's the source of all the imbalance. It's not bad decision-making. It's not poor hires. No, it's that playoff, that, that evil playoff, 
which has, of course, never been the case. But I know a lot of you believe that. Well, my question would be, if we had this happen, or just some version of this happen, I'm going to give you some scenarios. What do they say to me? Do they say this is the outlier? Do they say, oh, you can't trust it? It's a, it's a post-COVID year. You know, It's like last year, anything bad that happened, it's a COVID year. Well, this year, if, if all of a sudden we got upset after upset, it's a post-COVID year. I don't know what they would say, but there would be a con here. The con to this happening, if you're rooting for this, the con is the talent in 2007 was not nearly as concentrated as it, as it is now. You did not have programs that were operating at the level Bama or Ohio State or Clemson are right now. But if you're pulling for this to happen, here's something you may have on your side. What we also have never had, 07 or any other year, is you've never had the average experience rates be higher than they will be this year. The super senior rule has everybody well above and beyond what their average returning starter experience rate normally is. There are theories out there as to how that will impact the sport this year. I don't think there's any smart money on that. I've got my feeling. I think defensive football is going to be played at a much higher level. I think games are going to be crisper this year. I just overall think the product is going to be played at a higher level this year. That could be that all the teams play at a higher level, thus it is a net nothing. We don't really get anything. We don't get any change at all. But we didn't have that in 07. So both of those factors weren't in play. But the dream is not real until we start seeing top four teams fall. You know, I think you draw the dividing line at three or four, uh, Bama, Ohio State, Clemson, Oklahoma, Georgia, wherever you want to go. Those teams have to start falling. And I'm not talking about when they play each other. So Clemson, Georgia play week one. Now, I got it on good authority. One of them's got to lose. But outside of that, it's not really real until some of the upsets start happening. And so Bill Connolly actually put out a list of all the games that could be on the radar. Of course, you got Bama, you got games like Bama, Florida, you got games like Bama, Texas A&M. But I do think the definition of upset has changed a little bit because of that competitive balance that's changed. See, back in the day, I mean, your number one, number two, number three teams, they could be playing games against number 19 in some cases. You could have a single-digit spread on the game. Uh, that's not really the way it is these days. It's really hard to see Alabama play anyone and have that spread under two touchdowns, much less into single digits. It, it has only happened a couple times, and it's normally in the playoff or a national championship game. But, but because of that, if Texas A&M were to beat Alabama, that's the number 16 beating the number one team preseason, uh, that would be a huge upset. I mean, that would qualify as a huge upset. I think Indiana at number 17, if they beat number four, Ohio State, that would be viewed as a huge upset. I think if Florida beat Bama, even in the swamp, that would be viewed as a huge upset. Clemson goes to NC State September 25th. That would be viewed, I think, as a huge upset. I mean, all these teams are ranked, but I think it would be viewed as a huge upset. But what about some of these other games? Because these are the ones that you'd really need. you got to have some stuff come out of nowhere. you got to have... You got to you got to have some game go full on App State over Michigan, and some of the games Bill Connolly put together. Did you know Oklahoma opens their season at Tulane? I don't think most of you know that. What about UAB going to Georgia? No, no one feeling that one. Okay. What about Toledo at Notre Dame? Yes, no, maybe. Name your favorite Rockets player, by the way. Fresno State at Oregon is a trendy game on the West Coast. Fresno plays in Week One. They go to Oregon in Week Two. Now Oregon. Or no, that's um, that's week three. So, do I have that right, Colin? No, it can't be that. Hold on. Okay, week one. That's it. Fresno plays a week zero game, so they play this weekend. Then they go to Oregon, 
And the theory is Fresno's not showing anything this weekend, and they'll just unload the entire tool chest on the road at Eugene where Oregon's not going to be wanting to show anything because they go on the road to Ohio State the next week. Could happen. You can sell me on that. I don't think I'm going to pick it. What about Army at Wisconsin? Don't schedule Army, guys. I appreciate, I appreciate our servicemen and women, but I'm not scheduling their football team. Nothing good can come from that for us. Pate State will not be scheduling the service academies. We will be donating to the service academies. We will be making Thanksgiving meals for the service academies, but we're not scheduling them. Uh, what about App State at Miami? This is, this is a juicy little game now because that's in, I think, week two. Miami's got that Bama game. And then they got App State and Michigan State they play, and people are going to be overlooking that. San Jose State goes to USC. That is in uh, September 4th. That's, that's week one. Central Michigan at LSU, mid-September. Ball State at Penn State. We just talked about that game earlier. Do we feel any of them? I'm telling you, we probably just listed two upsets. We probably have two of them coming from that group. But my feeling is not about September. I have long expressed that I think this is going to be a more competitively balanced year I think those Redwoods do not rise nearly as high above the college football canopy as it normally does, or they normally do. And as a result, I really think November is going to be insane. I do not think we're going to arrive in the first week of November and have two or three of the five Power Five conference races settled. Maybe one, but I don't think it's going to be multiples. And number two, I think conference races are going to be wide open. I think division races are going to be wild. I think a lot of contenders that normally have clean resumes are going to have blood on their lip. And they're going to have a swollen eye, and they may still be the best, but it doesn't look like it has in years past. And I think that instead of maybe four or five or six teams vying for those playoff spots, I think we'll be in the 8, 9, 10 range, maybe even 11 or 12 in early November. And that is going to do wonders for a lot of what people are trying to manufacture into college football via an expanded playoff, because you'll have a bunch of teams vying for spots that still hold incredible value because there's only four of them. And some people are going to be upset because they can't make it even though they had a very good season. And as I've told you, people being upset at the end of a college football season is not the worst thing in the world. It's just not. I am looking forward to this year. I think it's going to be a renaissance year. And if we get a a total 07 reset, so be it. I'll be happy with it. All right, last thing I wanted to do here, I wanted to, for the last time, kind of go around the country right quick, some of the last whispers and intel that we're hearing before the season starts. And I wanted to start in Texas A&M. We got the announcement we thought we were going to get about quarterback. Haynes King is the starter there. Um, But Zach Calzada is the backup. Zach Calzada is a guy that if they do have to go to their backup for any reason, I think is more than serviceable. I think they feel fine about him. It's just when it comes to intangibles, Haynes King had them. Uh, He was not going to be a guy. He was going to be a guy that Calzada had to definitively overtake, and I don't think that ever happened. So both really good kids, though, both really good players. But uh, you talk to people close to the A&M program, and they're quick to tell you they have worked the vertical passing game. They have thrown the ball deep this fall more so than they have under Jimbo at any point since they've been there. I don't know what that means. I don't know what to make of that. I do know Jimbo Fisher has to look across the ball. And he has to see what Mike Elko's defense can do. And he has to know, we've got to bail me out defense. And so we cannot beat Alabama playing the kind of offense we've been playing. That much is sure. That much is certain. So if the answer in Jimbo Fisher's mind is, we got to take some more chances. I may be uncomfortable with it, but to beat the team we got to beat in Tuscaloosa, we got to take more chances. Because no one cares if we go 10-2, 11-1 if we don't beat that team. 
So we got to beat them. We got them in our building. We were never going to have a more favorable environment. We got to beat them. To do it, we got to push the ball down the field. And it's comforting, even amid all that risk, to know if we turn the ball over, we got a defense. Hadn't always been able to say that at Texas A&M. More so the last two or three years they have. Uh, that's one of the quietest major stories in college football is the emergence of the Texas A&M defense. It's one of the best in the country now. And we weren't saying that under Kevin Sumlin. How about Texas? I remain enthralled by this quarterback battle. I mean, it's still not settled. Some people would lead you to believe it is, though. And I'm not so sure I don't agree with them, but you really know why I'm smiling. When we talk about Texas quarterbacks, that means imminent in the discussion is one of those good old-fashioned Chip Brown horns 24-7 insider reports. You might as well turn the lights down, light up a cigarette, and I don't even smoke, play some soft, corny jazz music in the background, but you got to set the mood for a Chip Brown practice report. But here's what's happening. Hudson Card, Casey Thompson, the dynamic has shifted a little bit. It was Casey Thompson in the lead going into this thing. Hudson Card now coming out of that second scrimmage, taking a majority of the one QB reps, but there's been no announcement made. And with that, I read you just a few snippets from Chip Brown's premium article over on Horns 24-7. Sources telling him Steve Sarkeesian has not spoken with the quarterbacks yet about who's going to start, but, and this is where it gets real juicy, so I need you to put a bib on. There is a real possibility that Thompson would pack up and leave if Hudson Card is named the starter. This has long been a fear and a suspicion that has been whispered about all the Texas fan base. And now it looks like some of those whispers have a lot of validity to them because Casey Thompson is looking at what he did in the Alamo Bowl. Uh, He probably doesn't feel he's lost the job in fall camp. And so sources tell Chip Brown, Horns 24-7, Steve Sarkeesian is aware of that possibility and that, quote, he is concerned about that possibility. Oh, by the way, Multiple sources saying the third quarterback there isn't anywhere close to being ready for game action if he does indeed become the backup. So what do you do? Well, the answer is really hard and it's really simple. You play the best guy. You put the guy on the field that gives you the best chance to win. If it causes a transfer, so be it. And if two games into the season, you have, God forbid, a major injury, so be it. What you can't do is you can't get scared about the potential of a kid transferring and play the second best option and then live with those consequences. Because then you lose the respect of your locker room. You may lose the respect of your coaching staff. And as we have noted several times here, Steve Sarkeesian is not a 15-year veteran. He is not Nick Saban. He does not walk through with the cachet of a head coach that is established. He is trying to establish himself you got to make hard decisions. That's why they pay you what they pay you. That's why you get your name on every marquee. Hudson Card, I think, is going to be the starter here. We'll be fascinated to see if it means, indeed, a transfer. What about Florida? Because quarterback is worth watching at Florida, too. You may think, if you're not a Gator fan, did Emory Jones get hurt? No, he did not get hurt. But Emory Jones is who he is. There are a lot of good qualities about Emory Jones. But he is not a guy who is going to light the world on fire through the air. He's just not. Anyone who expects that is setting themselves up to be disappointed. Now, most people around Florida don't believe that. But I have a little internal dynamic here that is a dilemma because Anthony Richardson, the more you talk to people close to the Florida program, is the one they want to talk about. That's not the first time in the history of God's creation that people want to talk about the backup quarterback. But Anthony Richardson is a tank, physically. And Anthony Richardson has also got a lot of physical qualities that are probably best in that quarterback room. 
Anthony Richardson will be the first to tell you the mental side of the game he's still evolving in. I mean, if you go by his quotes, he's got like the perfect attitude for a backup quarterback. But I think there's going to come a time this year where he gets on the field in meaningful action. That's how Mullen handles his roster, really. And um, I, I want to see what happens. Because I have a sneaking suspicion that what's going to happen sometime in the first half of Florida season is Emory Jones is going to struggle at some point in a game. And Dan Mullen's going to send Anthony Richardson out there for a series. And then it's game on. Because I think you and I both know what happens. You can have it in your mind all you want to. Let's give him a series. Well, if he goes six for seven and they hot knife through butter it right down the field and they score, are you taking him off the field? If you do, what does the Swamp 24-7 message board look like? Because I can tell you they're very bent out of shape uh, regardless because they are already having to watch the quarterback be pulled out of the game. But if you put a guy in there who gets it done and then you take him out to put the guy who was struggling back in there, then all of a sudden your entire quarterback pedigree as a head coach and as a developer of the position goes out the window. It gets folded up like a used napkin. Speaking of the pedigree, though, we are talking about Emory Jones. Everything I know about Dan Mullen is leading me instinctively to think he'll be okay because Dan Mullen gets every ounce of potential out of every quarterback he coaches. And also, Emory Jones didn't just walk in the door. He's been down there three years now. So whatever the absolute best out of a guy who was a former four-star from Georgia is, Dan Mullen will get. So my instinct tells me, Dan Mullen's great at this. Emory Jones will be fine. That doesn't mean he may not have a very talented option behind him, though. So just a little dynamic to watch. And lastly, bad news out of Notre Dame. And it's, it is really bad. It's really unfortunate. So Marcus Freeman is the defensive coordinator there who has come in and, and lit the world on fire up there from a recruiting perspective. They love him. Everyone loves him. A lot of people hope he'll be the head coach one day. Some interesting comments from Brian Kelly on that front. Very interesting this week. But that's not what I want to talk about. What I want to talk about is they lost a very versatile and important player right out of the middle of that defense at the linebacker core. Maris Leofow, who I never got the pronunciation right on, but he was lost, I don't know how long for, maybe the year, at the very least a long time with a lower extremity injury. It's a big blow. They've got depth at linebacker. They're not going to have to put out walk-ons, but they don't have anyone who possesses the particular skill set that he did. And so that takes away a lot of the, the multiple elements of your defense, and you never know what kind of game-changing ability that guy was going to have for you that his replacement simply doesn't have. So those are some things to watch. Our last Whispers and Intel segment before the season starts. Really enjoyed that. All right, so remember, it is imperative. I'm going to send this in the chat now. Three, two, one, boom. It is imperative Got to make sure you're following Twitter and Instagram, at Late Kick Josh. We are announcing Pate State bright and early in the morning. It, I don't know how you won't love these logos. If you know the flavor of this show and you know my proclivity to like the things that I like and to be into the things I'm into, and if you were around when we had the contest to come up with the name, more than one of you came up with the name. So it's very much crowdsourced. It's very much a product of you. I just happen to be the beneficiary. I think we all are, though. You're going to love what you see in the morning. So at Late Kick Josh, make sure you're following. And thank you so much for subscribing to the channel. We're over 60,000. Please keep doing that. And share, share, share. Comments, tweets, Instagram story, everywhere. Share. That helps us. That is marketing. It's invaluable. Thank you so much. Still more big announcements coming. So stay tuned. Until then, for Director Colin, our entire crew at Fort Lauderdale, I'm Josh Pate. Have yourselves a great start to the weekend. Enjoy some early college football, and God bless.
most all-star studded challenge ever. And this time, it's every competitor for themselves. Best challenge ever! The Challenge All-Stars. New season now streaming on Paramount+. Plus. Go to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Terms apply.